bless him. Open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Doing a two-parter. Last week's message was on knowing Jesus. Today is making him known. The total message is knowing Jesus and making him known. Somebody say that with me. Knowing Jesus and making him known. Thank you. Oh, God blessed us so much last week. We learned that there's three main ways you can know Jesus. That's by reading your Bible, praying, and going to church. How many pray? You got to pray to what? Make it today. Amen. How many are reading your Bible? There you go. And how many came to church this morning? Amen. So you got it. I also gave you two other things to think about it in a more specific sense. Intimacy. Talked about knowing Jesus in an intimate way. And when you know Jesus, you tear down what? What did I say you got to tear down? The walls, the borders. You got to tear down those things and say, Jesus, have your way. Come into my heart. Take over. We also learn about being obedient. And that when we really hear what God says, sometimes it may sound crazy. How many times have you heard something from God and you didn't think it was God because it was just that crazy? I'm telling you, you hang around with God for a little while, he's going to freak you out. He will. You'll be like, wow, that was God? Yeah, that's me. He'll be like, that's me. I told you to do that. Seriously, imagine this. A prophet shows up at your house. You're eating your last meal. And the prophet says, feed me your last meal first, and then God will provide for you. And you're just like, well, this is all I got. That's okay. Give it to me first. That's what God told a woman to do. She gave all she had to the, to the man of God. And then she like looked at him like, am I going to die now? No, the prophet said, now you go get a jar, fill it full of oil, and then keep filling jars, and God will bless you with as many jars as you have full of oil. You'll sell them, and you'll make a whole lot of money off of it. That was a miracle. Some of y'all looking at me crazy. You ever heard of that story? I actually didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. So obedience is even when it doesn't make sense up here. Because how many know you don't walk on water? How many know you don't cross the Red Sea on dry land? Hello? How many know you don't go up to a king of the most powerful nation and just say, let my people go? But when you're with God, that's the things you do. Amen? Well, today I want to talk to you about making him known, and I want to give you some great things on getting closer to your brother, to your neighbor, and making a difference in this world. Because your knowledge about God is supposed to transform the world you live in. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So it's not just you walking around going, oh, I know the Bible. Oh, yeah, I know that's what it says. No, that's how we look at obesity. See, food is supposed to be used for energy. But how many know if we just keep eating and we're eating, how many know we just become obese? Well, what's that food meant to do? It's meant for you to get off your holy backside and go run a mile. It's meant for you to go build a house, men, for you to go work with your hands. And it's the same thing. The spiritual foods you get from the Word, it's just not so you can sit nice and big and plump on your chair and be like, I know the Bible. No, you're supposed to get off your holy hiney and get up and do something for Jesus. Exercise your faith. Amen. Change the world. Praise God. Come on, somebody. I'm a world changer, history maker, and a uh, world shaker. History maker, generation shaker. What's the other one? I can't remember them. I'm a generation shaker, history maker, and a world changer. There we go. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd followed him. How many of people always follow Jesus? They may not like him, but they'll follow him. You know why? Because they want to take from him. How many know on Christmas a lot of people come to church? Why? Because they just want to get that good feeling. 
Here's a large crowd following Jesus. When they had heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Idema, the region across Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Now watch, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed so many that the disciples were pushing forward to touch him, that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Now verse 11, when the evil spirits saw him, they fell down and cried with a loud voice, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Now look at verse 13. Jesus then goes up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Did he call the crowd? Did he call the takers? Did he call just the people who are watching the show? Oh, I just want to see what Jesus is doing today. I'm just going to be in the crowd. Did he call them to come? Did he call the skeptics and the doubters? Well, he better show me something. He did it for somebody else. He better do it for me. Let me see. No, no, no. Who did he call, y'all? What did he call them? The chosen. He says, he went to a mountainside, and those he wanted, they came to him. These are his chosen people. Somebody say, I'm called, and I'm chosen. You see, you can be called and not chosen. Remember we talked about that? Oh, come on. You, I don't want to stop there and get into review right now. But how many just know you've been called and you're chosen? Because then that's a whole other thing. You can be in the crowd, hear him call you, and then stay right where you are. You have got to get up and say, Jesus, I'm coming. So this is for those who want to be chosen. Amen? It says, he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. And then he names the names. And these were the 12 he appointed. Ishmael, Robin, David, Monica, Jonathan, Vanessa, Monique, Jared, Adolfo, Lauren. You see, he knows your name. And he calls you by name. And he says, come on, let's go. And there's two things you're going to do. We call it loving God, loving people. The way it's addressed right here is knowing God and making him known. You're going to be with him. You're going to know him. And then you're going to go out and share him with others. Now, how can we make him known? Here's two ways that I wrote in the book that you can read about that I've already talked in depthly about in many other sermons. Here's the two ways generally. You can help people in their times of need, like the Good Samaritan. If you really want to make Jesus known, help somebody. Why? Because you loving people and helping people shows the love of God. Now, why did you do that? Because I know Jesus. Well, I want to know that Jesus. See, you just made Jesus known. The Good Samaritan helped somebody that was racially different than him. See, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along those days. And see, all the Jewish people, it was, a, it was a Jew that was hurt, by the way, and all the Jewish people walked right by him. Even a priest walked by him. Hello? But who came was a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were considered dogs by the Jewish people. So the Jewish people looked down on Samaritans. But here the Jew didn't get help from his other Jewish friends. He didn't get help from the church. Here comes a Samaritan. So what does that teach us? It's that you can help others despite who they are, what they're going through, and despite who you are and what you're going through. You know what I tell people who are messed up? Get up get up, and help other people who are messed up. Because when you start to get off your problems, when you stop thinking about all that's going wrong in your life, you'll start getting some wisdom from God on how to chain things up. But if you sit down and have pity patty parties all the time, then you're just going to sit back and watch your life pass you by. You see, those of you like teenagers, those of you here that complain, maybe you didn't get for Christmas what you wanted, or right now you don't have that outfit, well, let's go out to Ohio Park and see how some people live out there. 
Let's go out to, uh, you know, the homeless and let's go visit them. And let's talk about some of the adults here. You know, maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're going through something. Why don't you come with me to Mexico and see what they're going through? Hello? Why don't you come with me to Mexico and see how they're living? They're begging for what you have. It's okay, friends. You can live without running water. You can live without a toilet if you have to. You can live without all that. Amen. That's what grass and a stream is for. Just don't do it in the same place you're getting it from the stream. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many ever watched Survivor? You can survive, people, and you're a survivor. Come on. You are a survivor. You see, what we need to do is understand helping people makes the love of God known. Number two, preaching to them teaches them about God. Preaching. Somebody say, preach. Look at your neighbor and say, preach. You see, it's not just me that's called to preach. The word preach literally means proclaim. So you and I are called to proclaim him everywhere we go. Thinking of my dad and the example that he showed me as a young person. At one of his business meetings outside of his work, he told everybody, I owe all my success to God. Jesus is the center of my life. And if I can offer you any prayer, I will. And I'll let you know that you have an eternal soul and you must come to him before you die. That's what my dad said in his business circles. Some here have told me that they've been to business meetings and they've heard the same type of thing. Walmart was established upon Sam Walton, who was a Christian. Do you understand? People have been in this world and live for God. Presidents still say, God bless you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? My friend, it's not wrong to bring your faith everywhere you go. Your faith should be a part of your life. I just want to challenge everybody to do simple things. Take this, for example. You're out to lunch with your coworker. The Applebee's you know, meal has been put before you. Just say, look, can I pray before we eat? And may I pray for you? That's the habit I have. Can I do that? Pray before every meal. Do that with your coworkers. Don't think you're crazy. Just do it in the break room. Maybe draw a little attention to yourself. Stand up. Dear God in heaven, bless this soup I'm about ready to partake. You are the Lord of glory, and you will judge every sinner one day. In Jesus' name. Do that. What are they going to say? The Muslims have got it now where they can stop working, pull out a carpet, and face Mecca. Come on. You can pray, friends. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let them lie to you. Maybe they won't let you pray from your college graduation or your high school graduation, but you can pray anytime you take a test. Just young people, just you know, bow your head and say, Dear Lord, help me remember what I studied. They might look at you crazy, but you're praying. You're giving honor to God. And then people can say, what is that faith that you have? What is going on? And you preach to them. Somebody say, help people in need and preach the gospel. Now, that was the introduction. Let's get into the message because I want to give you two specific things that I really have noticed over 14 years of ministry that help us do those things. Number one, compassion. Somebody say compassion. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And I want you to see compassion is an attribute that will drive you to do these things. You see, intimacy is what drives you to obey God and to, to follow God. You've got to be intimate with Him. It's compassion for others, concern in your heart. They'll have you help them. As you're turning to Matthew 9:36, I want to give you a definition of compassion. It is a human emotion prompted by the pain of others. I want to say that again. You can write that down. Compassion is a human emotion prompted by the pain of others. 
Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds talking about Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I was out to Mardi Gras, it never gets old to me. I see people wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. You'll see it in their droopy, bloodshot eyes. Their friends will be buddy and budding with them. They can't laugh anymore because they're so drunk. They're passing out. And you'll just see them kind of, you know, walking along. And God will just fill my heart for compassion for them because they don't know any better. That's, that's the only life that they know. That's the only way they think they'll experience happiness. And I remember when we were out there this year, there was a situation, and we were told to stay within, you know, two boundaries. You know, stay between this block and this block. And there's little things we had to look at to remind us. And this young lady came up to me, and she said, can I go outside of our area to this woman right here? And she pointed her to me, and she said she just passed out right there on the floor, right there on the ground. And I said, of course, of course, go out there and help her. And I I watched as they went over to this woman, finely dressed woman, very sophisticated, beautiful jewelry on, passed out, just right on herself, just drooling on herself. And I walked over to them, and the young lady was just holding her hand, saying, we're here for you, we love you. And the woman was just saying, I can't find my husband, I can't find my husband. And we're like, we're here for you, we're going to make sure you're okay. And the young man that was with her was just waving his hands like this, speaking in tongues. And I was so excited because he was speaking in tongues. And I was just like, she kaboomba, because he was just praying for her. God, give her back her mind so she can find her husband. And we asked her if she wanted to come with us, you know, if she just wanted to walk a few steps right down to where we were and just be with us until her husband came. You know, I mean, because there's just tons of people and all a person would have to do, and they look for this out there, by the way, you know, in a big city, is just take her hand and rip her jewelry right off, take it right off her neck. And I went up to the police officer that was just literally one doorway away because it was in front of somebody's door and it was in just another doorway away. Here where she was passed out from this storefront and there was another, you know, from one door to the next. It's right there. And I walked up to the police officer and I said, we have to go now. But there is a drunk woman, finely dressed right here with a lot of jewelry on her, and she does not know where her husband is. Will you take, a, take care of her? Will you watch her? You know what that policeman said back to me? He said, get out of my face. He said, get out of my face. I said, I don't think you understand. He said, get out of my face right now. I heard you. That's what the policeman told to me. Now, you know what? Police could say, hey, I've, I've seen it all, Pastor. You don't understand. I see drunk people. I see this. I, but there's never an excuse for that. You see, my friends, you can get to the point living in this city where you don't have compassion anymore. Where you just think to yourself, the homeless person is the homeless person because he's the homeless person and he smells like urine because he pees on himself. And that's just the way it's supposed to be. That's just who he is. My friends, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't like that. You can look at teenagers and say, look at them. They're just all stupid. They're living like the devil. They're violent to hell with them. Get out of my neighborhood. I'm calling the police. That's it. I had enough. And you can miss the whole point. Jesus came down as a perfect Savior, and we were sinners. But how did he see us? With compassion. What happened to him? He had an emotion prompted by our pain. My friends, if you really want to make Jesus known, it's more than just pointing your finger at somebody, telling them they're going to hell because the Bible says so. If you really want to love people and share a message with them and to really be there for them, you have to feel their pain. 
You have to be willing to let your heart be touched by them. You just can't say, well, I'm just shutting off my heart to the world because there's so much pain in the world. No, God will help you deal with it. I mean, it's not like every time I hear about something on the news, I fall into a puddle of tears. I'm not walking around depressed, but I'm telling you, when you hear about the earthquake, do you get pained? When you hear about Haiti, 100,000 people died, do you get pain? You see, we should be people of compassion. I remember walking down Michigan Avenue, and I've dealt with homeless people as long as I've been in ministry, over 14 years, all always dealing with homeless people, okay? And I was walking down Michigan Avenue, and there was the homeless people there, and sometimes I just tell them Jesus loves them, or I give them my card, and I just, you know, walk by. I guess I didn't see this guy or whatever. And he just screamed out, somebody help me, somebody help me, and just people were walking by him. But his cry was so desperate, and I walked over, and I said, man, what do you need? And then he started telling me his little scam. It was a scam. But you see, it was a check in my heart. Will I close my heart to the cries of the people? Or will I be there when they cry out? Now, sometimes when you help somebody, you don't give them what they need. You, know, you understand? I mean, what they want. You give them what they need. He, he wanted money, but he needed a shelter. And that's what I do with the homeless people. I say, hey, I'll give you something to eat, but you've got to do this. You've got to come with me. You've got to get off the streets because they have that mindset. You get what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about throwing your wallet at people and just walking around like, you know, just some type of free love bird giving everybody hugs. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you there's wisdom in this. But my point is it was a check to me. Joe, do you hear the cries? And the question I want to ask you, do you hear the cries? Let me start with the teenagers. Do you hear the cry of the lonely kid right now at school? Or are you so busy trying to be popular you don't hear their cries? Do you not pay any attention to them like everybody else? Or do you know who they are and are you making them your friend? Do you, do you feel the cry, young people, the one that doesn't dress like you because they come from a broken family? Do you hear their cries or are you so concerned with being with the ones that dress cool? Come on. Co-workers, adults, do you hear the cries of your co-workers? Do you see the woman with bags under her eyes because she's fought all night with her husband? Do you see the guy that's always going out catching his wine and his drink during lunch break because he's an alcoholic? Or do you just say that's somebody else's problem? My friends, we need to have a heart and ears that hear the cries of the people. And as a city, do you hear the cries of the homosexual? Do you hear their cry? They may be prideful. They may act like they don't want us, but deep down there's a cry saying, I've been abused. Somebody hurt me. I'm confused. I don't know who I am. Do you hear their cry? Do you hear the cry of the inner city? Because it's so easy to point at Ohio Park and say, those people, those people. But do you hear the cry of the young adult that grew up without a father, a mom on drugs, and now he's 14 years old, and all he knows is that older cousin that slangs dope on the corner. Do you hear his cry? Come on, do you hear the cry of the inner city? Do you hear the cry of the hurting? Jesus had compassion on them. I'm going to give them to you quick. You can write them down. Matthew 14:14. 14, 14. When Jesus landed off the boat, saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15:32. Jesus called his disciples to them and said, I have compassion for these people. They have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Matthew 20, 34, talking about blind Bartimaeus when we were praying, shouting out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus had compassion on him, touched his eyes and said, receive your sight. 
Mark 1:41. filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, saying, I am willing, be clean. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus got off the boat again, he had compassion on them. Mark 8, 2, had compassion on the people that were with him. When you read the story of the prodigal son, turn there with me as we get another illustration of this. Look to Luke 15, 20. How many know the story of the prodigal son? This young man took all of his dad's wealth, ran away, lived a sinful lifestyle, squandered it on prostitutes, money, all his money on drugs and partying, right? Wild living. He can't find a job, so he works in the pigsty. Has it got that bad for you guys? Come on. And guess how hungry he was? He ate the pig food. I don't know if y'all have ever been to a farm, but you know what pig food looks like? It's the stuff off the table that people didn't eat. Nasty. That's what he was eating. The Bible says he comes to his senses. He says, I better get back home because I'll be treated better in my house as a servant than as a child. So I'll just come back home. I messed up. Even if my dad doesn't want me to be a uh, child anymore, at least I can beg him to be a servant. You all know the story, right? Look at Luke 15:20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and said, that stupid kid, I'm going to kick him out of my house. What did that father say? He saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now you might say, Pastor, I love that. I'm so happy that's there because I'm a prodigal son. I'm a prodigal daughter. Here I am, Jesus. Squeeze. Hug. But hold on. Let's change the context now. You're going to be the role of the father. And the prodigal son is going to be the person that's your worst enemy. That's hurt you. That's abused you. That's taken from you. If they came back today and said, I want to apologize and make it right, would you throw your arms around them and have compassion? Jesus said, pray for your enemies that God blesses them. Jesus said, don't hate, but love your enemy. He said, pray for them, bless them, love them. I'm not saying we approve what, we, what they did. The, the father didn't say, son, I'm so proud of you. You just got drunk all the time, didn't you? Wow, you went there to Hooters. I'm, I'm so proud of you, son. No, he didn't excuse his sin. He forgave his sin. It's a difference between forgiveness and excusing. I don't say to people who have done wrong in this church, we just excuse it. It's okay. We forget about it now. No. It was evil. It was wrong. But there was a cross, and a man died on that cross, and his blood was red and poured out for that sin. So I forgive you. And guess what? We can say what Jesus said. I forgive you because you didn't know what you were doing. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. Compassion. I tell this story often because it's one of the greatest lessons in my early ministry. I'm a young pastor. I'm working with the homeless in New Orleans, bringing in over 30 people off the streets into my house. I would meet them in the French Quarter. Hey, do you want a place to stay? Sure, come to my house. I would give them clothes out my closet, literally opening up the closet. What do you want? Here it is. Wear it. And one day, this man wearing the clothes I gave him wanted to do something. And I just said, no, we can't do that. we got to do this. He got upset with me. He called me names. He left out my house, flicking me off as he was wearing the clothes that I had just given him. Him telling me how much I'm a bad pastor. You're a bad pastor. I don't like you. You know, here, take that. And God said to me, that's the way my children treat me. Hit me just like that. 
Here's all the gifts God's given us. God's given you the ability to make an income, yet people will take all their income and push it right back in God's face and say, I don't have time for church. i got to watch my 65-inch TV. I don't have time to go to the prayer meeting. I have my bulls tickets to go to. Come on. We, and we just flick it right back in God's face. Say, take that, God. Here God gives us children, gives us a family, and then we say we can't come to church because our family has to go to soccer, piano practice, and all these other things, and we can't come to church now. It's like we just throw it right back in God's face. That's what always blows my mind when it comes Christmas time, church attendance drops except for that one weekend because everybody's so busy doing family things. It's like if it's his birthday, I thought you were supposed to be with him. And then we all giving gifts to each other when it's his birthday. It'll be like me showing up to your house at your birthday. And I'm like, ish, happy birthday, but here's a gift for you, Salvador. Love you. It's like, hello, what was that? It's Christmas. I don't give to the church during Christmas. I give it to my children. My friends, God looks at us that same way. So why do we act like we can't forgive others then? You know what? If God can forgive you, you can forgive somebody else. If God can forgive you, you can have compassion on a gang member. If God can forgive you, you can have compassion on an alcoholic, a person that's had an abortion. That's why I'm not into protesting. What is that? We're angry. We don't like it. What are we telling the world? We're not angry like them. We love them. That's why I love the people who do the peaceful protest, come out from the uh, abortion clinic, sing songs of worship, and pray in front of there. It convicts the people. You're supposed to hate me. You're supposed to have a sign. No, we're just singing songs to Jesus. We're just telling you that we love you. And we believe that the child you're killing, it's murder. So God will change it. We see more results that way than with the picketing. Hello? If you like the picket, that's on you, though. Amen? Praise God. Somebody say compassion. Another definition for compassion is to suffer together. Think about that. Did Jesus suffer with you? On the cross he did. Do you know that on the cross, Jesus can say to every single one of us, I know your pain. This is the eternal divine nature of God. That while he was being crucified, the Bible says he took all the pain of the world. He took all of the pain. So that means whatever pain you face in life, Jesus knows it personally. He's the only one that can really say, I know what you're going through. Are you willing to do that with somebody else? How many know that we want to be people's friends when they have a lot of cool stuff we like? But how many know when somebody gets sick, it's a lot harder to be their friend? Because you got to come over, you got to bring them something to eat. How many know spouses, when your spouse gets sick, it's really hard to be their friend? At first, you're cute. You know, I'll just tell on myself, you know, maybe you guys are better than me. But at first, you know, when Nancy was pregnant, it was, what can I do for you? Can I rub your back? You know, now, she's like, rub my back. I'm like, here's a tennis ball. Rub up and down on the wall. And my masseuse told me to tell her that, too, so I love it. I was like, she's like, how can I give massages to myself? She's like, use a tennis ball. And so now, you know, before it was just like, I'll give you a massage all night long, you know. And then now it's like, I need a massage. Take the tennis ball. So you see her against the wall. (laughs) I'm telling on myself. Because I'm telling you it's hard to suffer with somebody, isn't it? You guys know it feels the same way at first. You know, like, hey, I'll come over to my friend's house. But then they keep sneezing. You don't want them to sneeze on you. And eventually you leave them alone. How many know that happens to people who become handicapped? Maybe you used to ride bikes together. Maybe you used to do this. Now you can't do that anymore. 
Come on, I'm sure our brother right here has probably felt rejection. People say, man, well, I, I don't know if I can be your friend because we can't play basketball together. Think about that. When somebody is handicapped, they can't do what you normally do. How about somebody in your life that's emotionally distressed? They always talk about themselves. They're always in trouble. How many know you begin to start pulling away from them? Because every time I get around you, you talk about yourself. Every time. You see, my friends, compassion says, I will suffer with you. I'll suffer with you. So we find things that we have in common. We do things with them and for them because we love them. What did Jesus do? He saw the need and he met it. Why? Because they were he was full of compassion. When he saw them hungry, he fed them. When he saw them sick, he healed them. When they needed a friend, he was a friend to them. Let us do that in our lives. Amen? Number two, I want to talk to you about patience. Oh, Lord. How many just need some of that right now? How many just saying the word just like shoots it right up your spine? Conviction, patience. Oh, man. Nobody has to have a word from the Lord for me. All you have to do is just come around me and be like, patience. And it's like, oh, Jesus. I was with this old saint of God at Mardi Gras. I hadn't seen him for so long, Papa Logan. And uh, I came into his room. He was just this typical old sage. He had his glasses. He almost looked like he was high. He probably was on Jesus or something. Brother, so good to see you. Grab a seat. Let's talk. And then he'll just meditate. I said, how are you doing, Papa Logan? Oh, brother, I'm good. He just had his eyes closed. I'm like thinking, dude, he's like somewhere in the seventh heaven, or he's getting ready to go to the seventh heaven. Just old guy. And then you know what he says to me? I'm like, I'm like give me some advice. You know what I want to Go beat up the devil. That's what I want him to do. I, I asked for advice, you know. Go beat up the devil. No, you know what he says? Humility, brother. And it takes a lot of patience. How many know living for God takes a lot of humility and patience? How many know you could be humble for about five minutes, but it takes patience to be humble for an hour? Oh, Lord, look at these scriptures. Turn to Matthew eighteen twenty-six. As you're turning there, I'll give you a definition of patience. It's going to be a unique definition. You may not think it would be this, but listen. It is to bear the offenses and injuries of others. Think about that. Those of you who are taking SUM classes, we have another dear old saint, Dr. O. The brother can barely turn on his computer, let alone do a webcast for the class. He's like, brother, is this how you turn it on? And then everything goes off, okay? How many know at those moments, patience, you have to bear with the offense. You have to bear with his weakness. Bear with the infirmity. What are you doing in line at the grocery store when that person got something that doesn't have a tag on it and now you're waiting for three hours? You're bearing with them. Help on aisle four. Help on aisle four. And then, like, you're looking at the other worker who says, I'm on break. I can't help you. She's standing right there. Like, look, I will give you a break, but it's not the kind you want. Get your little self right to this register. But what are you doing at that moment? You're bearing with the company's weakness. You're bearing with that woman who's trying to maybe rip off the company by switching the tags. Whatever's going on, you're bearing with their weakness. How about offenses? When you're patiently bearing with offenses. 
people in traffic. They're being offensive. What do you have to have? Patience. Otherwise, you will lose your salvation. Every time you get in the car, oh, God, forgive me. Jesus. How many just feel that way sometimes? Like, you just, you lose it. It's over. It's like you take out your Metro Praise Church membership cards, you set it down. Take that back now. Lord, forgive me. I mean, seriously, when we deal with people like that. Oh, how many have ever talked to a cell phone company on the phone about your bill? How many just wanted to go right through the phone and say, listen, Riri, I did not call Venezuela. That is not my bill. And there is no way I sent 900 texts on that day. But you know what? The cell phone people love me now. You know why? Because I don't argue with them. You can't win. I get a $500 cell phone bill, I just pay it. You know why? Because I never have won with them. I have wasted hours of my life with them. Now it's just like Jesus set me free. 500's over. Done. Because why? We have to have patience in life. Look at Matthew 18, 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. Jesus tells a story about a man who owed his boss a million dollars. Imagine having a million dollars of debt. What would you say to somebody? Be patient with me. It's going to take a while for me to pay this thing back. You know what the Bible says? The man was kind to him and said, hey, I'll be patient with you. Then the story goes on and says, the man who just received forgiveness finds somebody who owes him $5. And then the man falls on his knees and says, man, I'm poor, dude. I don't have anything. Be patient with me. And you know what the Bible says? The man took that dude, threw him in jail, and said, I'm not letting you out, Joker, until you pay me back all $5. The Bible then goes on to say that the other guy who just forgave the million-dollar debt called back that servant and said, I was willing to be patient with you, but you weren't willing to be patient with this dude for $5. Now you're going to jail, too, until you pay it all back. You see, my friends, was God ever patient with us? Did we ever do some silly re-re things? Luther, did we ever do that? Come on. Do you don't think that God looked at the angels in heaven and go, what the heck did they just do? They just drank what and danced what and got with what and what? Hello? How many know God knows your past? How many know God knows what you used to do? How many know God probably said to the angels with me, oh, angels, hold back. Don't judge them yet. Don't, don't take him. I'm telling you, I, I know that the angels had to go up to the Father and say, let's just take him out right now. I called up Christian television and pretended that I had a demon just to mess with them. I mooned, I mooned, I mooned a peaceful protest in my city towards abortion. Christians were out there saying, end abortion, we're praying for you. I mooned them. I said, hello, drove the car right by. I promise you, I promise you, that is the truth. I'm not lying to you. The first time, the first time I got kicked out of school was sixth grade for mooning another girl. Just, I was on a mooning habit. I was addicted to mooning. Some of y'all... Didn't know I was that bad. 
I was bad. And God was patient with me. How many were bad? You might have not been that bad, but how many were bad? Now, y'all perfect, they ain't raising your hand. Come on. Let's ask your parents. Let's ask your husband or wife. Come on. You see, God says through this parable, you know what? You need to be patient with people. I'll go through them quickly now. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, as we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. How many of the elders today need to be patient with everyone? (laughs) Oh, all the sheep are being quiet right now. Elders, I need some help. I don't think they understand how they can be sometimes. Y'all don't know how you can be calling us up at 2 in the morning asking us something all crazy. And, and, and people asking for rides at weird times. And, and people going through life situations. And we're trying to love on you, but you're not taking our advice. And you're making it super duper hard on us. Sometimes we look at you, and instead of seeing a wooly little lamb, all we see is lamb chop for dinner. You know what I'm saying? We just want to cut you down and say, Lord, just forgive me when I'm done with them. Bringing them to the slaughter, Lord. Some of y'all looking at me like, no, Pastor, it can't be with me. And you're some of the very ones I'm talking about. You're some of the very ones I'm talking about. Jesus, help me. I don't want to name their name. They're not going to come to church anymore. Sometimes I just want to shave off all your hair, make a wool jacket out of it, and just say, take that. I can't take you anymore. Okay, now I'm better. Walk out all bald, all cold. What did Pastor just do to me? He just took everything from me. The little spanking. But some of you, let's just be honest, some are just so kind. You know, I hold out a little feed in my hand. It's like the, the petting zoo. You come up. And we just pet you. We love you. Give you a little water. And we just send you on your way. Others. Mmm little crazy that's okay pray for me pray for the elders bible says help the weak and be patient with everyone 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 just say that with me everyone now turn with me in closing to second peter 3 9 if you can stand to your feet with me uh ishmael or rather just uh, lilani would you come we're going to end in prayer today asking god for compassion and for patience as you're standing I want to read to you a scripture that has always blessed me in a mighty way. Second Peter 3.9. If you're there, say I'm there. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Whoa. <coughs> wow. Sorry. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the Lord one day will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Have you ever asked yourself, why is God so patient with us? Because He doesn't want us to perish. Think if Armageddon and Jesus would have came back Ten years ago, how many of you would have been ready? Come on. 
How many of us would have been ready five years ago? A year ago? The Bible says he is going to be patient with us until the gospel is preached to every man, woman, and child. To every person has a chance to choose to be a part of his kingdom. So my friends, when we talk about making Jesus known, yes, it's preaching the gospel and helping them. That's obvious. But where is that going to come from? It's going to come from compassion. It's going to come from a heart that says, I want to carry your problems with you. Just because you have issues, I don't want to walk away from you now. And then it comes from a heart of patience that says, I'm not giving up. I'm going to be there for you. I'm reminded of the story of a young man that was in junior high class, and he had a Christian friend. He began telling him about Jesus. But the thing was, this other kid was Muslim, and he was brought up Muslim. And he just told the kid, I got my own religion. Years went by. The kid always would invite him to Christmas service, sleepovers at the church. They went into high school, became his good friend, but he would always invite him. One day, just to make his friend shut up, he said, man, I will go with you. In high school, he said, I'll go with you. Had been about five years of him talking to him. He went to the church, very small church. At that service, the Muslim kid, that young, young man, gave his heart to Jesus. That day he went home and he confessed Christ to his family. He said, I am a Christian now. His dad said, if you do not renounce the Christian faith, this was in America, he said, if you do not renounce the Christian faith, I will disown you and you will have to leave the house right now. This is a true story. You have to leave right now. 15, 16-year-old kid called back his friend said, hey, dude, you know you invited me to church. I accepted Jesus. Well, this is what it's going to cost me. If I stay with Christ now, I have nowhere to live. I have nowhere to go. Will you bring me into your house? He said, yes. He told his dad, I will live for Jesus. That's Ergen Canner. He then went on to Bible college, went on and got his Ph.D. He is the president of the theological seminary I go to, the largest seminary in the world, 50,000 students, Liberty Baptist Seminary. Ergen Canner then won his, his brother to the Lord. You see, that young man who was saying that day, hey, I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to preach to you. I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. Had no idea that later on that night, he was going to have to have compassion and patience and accept a new brother into his house. You see, my friends, when we go out and say to the homosexual, you need to repent, what are we going to do when they come here and say, all of my friends are gone? You're everything I have now. Who's going to spend time with them? What are we going to do when that couple comes to the church and doesn't have anything, and they say, you're all I got. Now help me be patient. What are we going to do when that teenager, he's been a part of a gang, and that's all he knows. His cousin Flacco's in the gang, his great cousin, his second cousin, his third cousin, all his cousins and uncles, everybody's in a gang. And he now shows up and says to Adolfo, dude, I ain't even got a place to stay anymore. I ain't even got a place to be. They're all selling drugs. This is all I know. Come on, what are you going to do when your coworker says, you're right, I, I do have an alcohol problem, but you know what, AA doesn't work. Can I call you when I feel like hitting the bottle? And you give him your number, and you just said goodnight to your kids, and you're laying down at 11 o'clock, and he's at a bar somewhere passed out saying, can you come and get me so I don't drive home tonight? See, ministry will cost you something. It costs me something to come here and be your pastor. 
If I told you all the things I've went through to make it five years, some of y'all wouldn't even want to go the next five years. Because you're going to face it with me now that you're here. Some of you have already begun to feel the pain, the things that we go through to help people. But it's worth it. No matter how many times they spit in our face and say, we don't want it. We don't care what they say. We're doing it for God because God told me to do it. In closing, I've told the illustration before, but I want you to hear it again. There was a man one day sitting by a fire, and a scorpion kept going towards the fire. Man reached out his hand, brought the scorpion out of the fire, and every time he did, the scorpion would sting him with his tail. The man would drop the scorpion and shake his hand in pain. The scorpion would go right back to the fire. He would grab that scorpion, sting him again, drop the scorpion. Somebody watched this and said, what are you doing? You can't save that scorpion. Don't you know it's in the nature of a scorpion to sting you? He said, yes, but it's in my nature to save it. My friends, the marks on Jesus' hands were the ones we put. Because it was in our nature to reject him. But it was in his nature to save us. First, or John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. John writes another book, First John. Same chapter. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now that you know the love of God, this is how you love your brother. You lay down your life for them as Christ laid down His life for you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that to be our heart today. There is absolutely no one here perfect at this, God. We all admit that we're not perfect at this. So, Lord, we ask for help today to be compassionate and loving to others. As I'm praying right now, I want you to start with the deepest pains of your heart that have come through people. And I want you right now to forgive them. You might say, well, Pastor, they didn't ask for forgiveness yet. But you got to forgive them now because that's the way you get your heart right. So right now, if there's anybody here, you've been abused by a parent, sexually molested, you've been raped, you've been just treated badly, people hurt you from your childhood to yesterday, right now, you're not going to be embarrassed, but just talk to God right now. No one's going to ask you. It's between you and God. Say, God, I forgive my mom for what she did. God, I forgive my dad for what he did. God, I forgive that boyfriend, that man for what he did. God, I forgive that teacher for what they did. Come on, we've got to forgive our enemies today. Because hurt people will hurt people. Come on, if you're going to make a difference in this world, you've got to let God take away the hurt. Jesus, take away the bitterness. Take away the pain. Take away, God, that feeling that unless they hold on to anger... That, God, they're excusing that behavior. Well, if I, if I don't stay angry, then that means he got away with it. No, God, teach him that forgiveness takes it all away. God, you will judge them. You will judge them. Come on, holding on to unforgiveness is a cancer. Let go of it right now. Jesus, I forgive them. Come on. Now, those in the ministry, I want you to start to think of all the people in the ministry that have hurt you. Come on. All the people that said, I'm coming to church, and they didn't show up. All the people that told you to lie. They said, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and they lied to you. Come on. I'm talking to everybody in the church that's ever been hurt. 
by somebody else in this building or someone that came through these doors or maybe another church and you were hurt by them. Could have been a leader and it could be a leader being hurt by a person. Come on. Just say, Jesus, I forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus, I forgive them. Come on, names are coming to me right now and I'm just forgiving them as the names are coming to me. Come on, you might need to name their names and just say, Mike, I forgive you. God, help me forgive Mike. Come on, you, whatever you've got to do. Compassion and patience has got to start with us forgiving our enemies and those who have hurt us. Jesus, I forgive them, Lord. I forgive. Now, those who want to make a difference, you want to change the world for Jesus, just begin to ask God for patience and compassion. Come on, you know you're going to face a situation this week that will test this word. So get your heart ready. Every time I preach a message like this, somebody will come up to me and go, Man, you won't believe the week I had. Got a flat tire. My dog died. This person at the job yelled at me. My kids went crazy. You know why? Because God is testing the word. He's testing the word. He's not creating the problem. He's just allowing problems to create character in you. You will have trouble, the Bible says. But he said, be of a good cheer because you overcome these troubles. Let's prepare our hearts. God, give us compassion. Give us patience. And now name three situations where you need it in. Patience in the home, the family, the job, your friend, your family. Come on, just be specific with the Lord. Give me patience, O oh God. Give me patience, Lord. Give me patience, Jesus. Oh, God, I know if He's speaking to me, I know He's speaking to you. I got clarity on what I'm praying for. Now let's ask God for three situations for compassion. Just to bring lavish, abundant, overflowing compassion to people that have injury, offense, and illness. Just compassion. Today, I just want to encourage you as you move from this place. We'll keep the music playing just like we are right now. If you want prayer, come on up here for anything. This is kind of one of those messages where a lot of talk don't count for anything, does it? It's like you got to go out there and do it now. I want to encourage you to be accountable to somebody. 
Maybe on your way out, say, hey, man, just keep me accountable. I need some patience. Ask me next week how I did because I just want to make sure I don't give up on this. And I want you to know something. In all the joking, man, I love this church. And in comparison to what Jesus went through, nothing. Nothing. It's been a joy. And I hope today, if you look to the cross, you can find some encouragement today that whatever you're facing is not bigger than his cross. You can make it. Amen? I'm going to ask Adam, one of our young people, he leads the guitar, to come and close us in prayer. Adam, just bless the people. Ask that God will sow that seed in their heart this week. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the mighty work that you're doing in our hearts now, Father. The Lord, the word was preached today, Father God, and we hear it. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that we act upon it, Father God, Lord. When we go forth, Father God, may other people see and give you the praise, O God, for all that is happening in our life, O God. Lord, may may we have compassion and may we be patient with our brothers, with our family, with our friends and our co-workers, oh God. And Father God, as we do this, Father God, we draw closer to you and we be just like Christ, oh God, humble in nature. And Father, I thank you for the many people here, Father God, that they will go forth. Let them be encouraged, oh God, that they can do it, that you have given us the power. And Father God, when they feel weak at times, may they turn to you and turn to their brother to keep them accountable. God, I thank you for this word, oh God. It was for all of us in this place. And so, Father, I thank you, and may you increase it in our lives for our family, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen. Join us at the prayer station if you need to pray. God bless you.